think you just have to just do things even though they're scary or even actually because they are. Welcome to Lifting Up, Lessons from Verizon Women Leaders. I'm your host, Sally Hubbard. In each episode of this special series, we celebrate a Verizon role model. We hear their success stories and glean wisdom from the ups, downs, and detours of their journey. By amplifying diverse voices, we learn the unique superpowers that each one of us brings to the table. Today, I'm here with Kathy Grillo. Kathy is a Senior Vice President and Deputy General Counsel, Public Policy and Government Affairs, with responsibility for Verizon's public policy, federal and state legislative and regulatory affairs, antitrust and privacy, and strategic alliances. Congratulations, <laughs> Kathy. You <laughs> are you. killing it. <laughs> Thank you. I know. That's a long list there. I forgot how long it is. I want to hear all about your career path, but could you start by just telling us about what you do here at Verizon? At Verizon, my current job is I have responsibility really for our public policy positions across the business. So when we go to the federal government, when we appear before state governments, really any governmental entity, what's Verizon's position? How do we advocate that? How do we make sure that we are expressing what our company wants, but it's also good for consumers and good for the government? That's the balance that we try to strike in my group. And then more importantly, or even importantly, we represent the company before all these governmental entities. So we are really the face of Verizon to the government and the public in a lot of ways. That sounds like a lot to be in charge of. How many people do you manage? What's your team look like? It's about 200, maybe a little bit less. And it's a great mix. It's, it's very diverse. It's, you know, half men, half women. We have people all over the country in almost every state representing Verizon in different places and a big team here in Washington, because a lot of the work we do is with the federal government. Now, you have ascended through Verizon and have this amazing position now. When you look back on your career, are there any things that stand out to you that you're particularly proud of? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, I think I knew very early on that the career path that I had chose was not the right one for me. So I started, I went to law school, I graduated and I clerked for a federal judge, which was great. I came out and I worked in a big law firm. So very high pressure, very litigation focused, you know, really about getting in there and fighting hard and working really long hours. And it just wasn't really me. It wasn't what I wanted. And so I left pretty early on in my career, probably in the fourth year or so. And that was a big decision. At that point, people didn't really leave the firm Mm-hmm. Very much. I mean, they kind of stayed, and they, it was a prestigious firm, and they made partner, or they went to be a judge. So they all sort of looked at me like I was making a big mistake. But I knew it wasn't where I wanted to be. I knew it wasn't taking advantage of what I thought my talents and my gifts were. So I moved on, and that was a big thing for me. That's when I came to Verizon. And right away, I sort of knew I was in the right place, and I was doing the kind of work that really interested me. Uh, and then two years later, I kind of had a similar decision, whereas I was in the legal department to start out, and I really wanted to do the kind of work I was telling you what we do here, the policy work, advocacy, representing us before the government. And so a position opened up, and I switched. And that was also a little controversial internally. That wasn't something that happened very much. So that was a long time ago, actually. That was 13 years ago. But I was proud of myself for actually knowing what I wanted to do knowing what I didn't want to do, and then taking action to make it happen. And what do you credit for that ability to know 
that that wasn't right for you and have the confidence of leaving what was a prestigious job that people would be telling you, you should just be so happy to have this job. What do you credit for giving you the confidence to make that change? I was, that's a good question. I mean, at the time, I was really, really nervous about it. So I think I just have this intuition where I just trust what I think is the right thing for me. I feel like throughout my life, I could look back and find a lot of points, both my personal life and my professional life where I've done that. And I think that's something that especially women sometimes don't have a lot of confidence in. You know, they, they look a lot towards what other people expect of them and what they should be doing and am I measuring up. And I feel like I've been pretty good, even though at the time I was really nervous. I mean, I wasn't 100% sure while I was doing it. I remember my mom sent me this poem that said something like, you know, somebody wanted to go on a roller coaster and they were really scared. And she said, you don't think about it. You just buy the ticket and you go. (laughs) (laughs) And that was something too I hadn't really realized. It's like, it's okay to be scared and you don't have to be sure. You just have to trust your instinct. And you're not going to be completely comfortable and feel perfectly 100% confident in your judgment. You just have to sort of know inside and then just take some kind of action to do it. Uh, Because if you stay in that place of uncertainty for too long, you're not really going to be living up to other people's expectations, and then you're not going to serve yourself. So there's a few points from this I'd love to pull out. So there's following your intuition, having a bias toward action, and going toward the fear, just not being daunted by the fear. Yeah. Intuition, I think, is actually a superpower that women have. Yes. That really helps in business, but we don't often acknowledge that we have that superpower. Yeah. We don't listen. You have to list, really listen. I mean, you have to really ask and really get quiet and really ask and say, okay, what is my you know, inner voice telling me I should or shouldn't do? And sometimes there's a lot of noise, too, around us all the time anyway, whether that's our family or people at work or what we see on television or what our expectations are about what we're supposed to do. But I think that is something that, for me, has really served me well in my career. So how do you make space to listen to your inner voice? I think you just concentrate on it. I think you just focus. You just It's like where you put your attention, right? There's so many places in the, in the world, and at work, where you can kind of put your attention. I think you just have to set aside some time, whether it's in the morning or at night, and just really think about something and feel it inside. Like, what does it feel like in my body? What does it feel like in my breathing? You know, does it feel like okay, I'm kind of moving in the right direction. Are you getting signals that it's not? I don't think it's super complicated. It's just making the space to do it. So you don't have any particular regimen, like every morning I meditate or anything that like really helps you to reconnect with yourself. (laughs) I'm sure everyone I work with wished I meditated more. Uh, No, I don't. I would like to. I mean, I have a group of people that are I'm very close friends with, and we all sort of focus on things like that and kind of making ourselves better. And so that helps, too, just having people in your life that also have similar ways of trying to make decisions or, you know, do the right thing for themselves. So that's really helpful. We kind of support each other. They're all women that are killing it, too, by the way. Awesome. You know, <laughs> all I, terrific. I also think about that a lot, and a lot of women I've spoken to have talked about the importance of their supportive kind of squad. Some people call yeah. it their advisory board, their squad. Tribe. Their tribe. <laughs> So you have that as well. Yes, yes. A really good group of, it's actually a fairly big group, but, you know, then there's sort of people in it that are closer than others. But yeah, it's like 15, 20 women here in Washington 
who, you know, just sort of have similar ideas about what their life path should be and, you know, how they should approach their careers and their families. And so that's really, really helpful. And that helps you not just on a personal level, but it helps you advance in your career and and achieve your goals. Women sometimes have similar issues with their career, right? Like similar kind of fears that you're talking about or the sense that you have to kind of play a little small, like you can't really go for it or you're not entitled to the big job because you're not qualified or that imposter syndrome problem that, you know, if I have that job, people are going to figure out that I'm not really good enough for it. And if you have a group of women who all understand that that's the dynamic that sometimes we all fall into, you help support each other because you can see it in someone else even when you can't really see it in yourself. So I found that very helpful and also just very supportive in terms of me making decisions that are good for me or making the bold choice, right? Because sometimes it's easier to play it safe. I agree that we often can't see things in ourselves and maybe we know intellectually that it's there, but we have those feelings of, of doubt or imposter syndrome. And when you have a group of women or men, anyone who reflects back at you that you are awesome and here's all the ways that you're awesome and this is why you should go for it, it's incredibly helpful, right? Yeah, it's incredibly helpful. And I don't know why we have that. That's one thing that I've been obsessed about for a long time, trying to figure out where does that doubt come from, that yeah. self-doubt come from. And I, yeah. And the thing that's interesting is a lot of, and I've done this myself many times, I think I'm kind of past it now, but the women who have imposter syndrome or who worry about that are usually the best, right? They're usually the most qualified. They're the most responsible. They're the ones, the go-to people who, when you have a project, you know this person is going to kill it. And they're the ones who a lot of times have the doubt. And so we had an event here recently, like a women's uh, kind of a maker's type event. And we just had a very frank discussion about a lot of things, including this. So what I learned from that is that talking about it, just sort of bringing these things up, having that discussion in a room with a bunch of women, people just nod their heads, kind of what we're doing right now, because everybody feels it. And then when you talk about it and you admit that that's something that you struggle with, and other women do too, you sort of understand it and you can move past it more easily. Yeah. So we, we want to do more of that kind of thing here. But that was a very interesting discussion for exactly the reason that you just yeah. said. Then we started to beat ourselves up about it. We're like, wait, we have imposter syndrome. <laughs> and, and actually, I really think it's something that's happening to us on a societal level. It's messages that we're getting that we don't belong or we yeah. don't deserve it, right? Yeah. You know, that we've internalized, you know, so... I don't want us to take the blame for it, but we're also the only ones who can fix the voice in our own head, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's definitely externally. The pressures come not from within, but from sort of the messages, even not even conscious, but unconscious messages right. that we get a lot. But, you know, just being honest about what we're feeling and then wanting to move past it is, and it's great. Like, it's a great dynamic when you're in a group and everyone sort of agrees, hey, this is something going on with me and then supports each other, and then everybody leaves, and you sort of feel like, okay, we've all made progress towards getting past it. Looking back on your career, some of the things that you're proud of, you mentioned you're really proud of having the courage to really know yourself and make the move and and come here to Verizon, and then to switch to the department that was what you wanted to be doing. Are there any other highlights of your career that stand out, things that you're proud of? Well, I'm proud of my current job because I've been in it about two years and I'm the first woman who has the job at Verizon, so I'm kind of proud of that. And it's a great job. I mean, I have a great boss and amazing team. 
you know, we had, we've had some pretty big milestones along the way, too. So one of the fun things about my job is when we have big transactions, we have to get government approval for them. And that can be high stress because basically everyone in the company is sort of waiting on you to get something done before they can close a deal worth, you know, billions of dollars. So there's been a couple of those that have been pretty big. And when, you know, a lot of big projects, a lot of people are involved. But when you're talking about a transaction, it's kind of all on just you. And so a couple of big ones that we got done very cleanly, that's, those were big highlights for me. There was one that was a Spectrum deal maybe about five years ago. It was a big thing. So yeah, those are high exciting. pressure. Yeah. Very high pressure. Yeah. One thing I would love to do is to get some wisdom from you in terms of things that you know now that you wish you had known when you started off on your career. One thing I think is, uh, so we talked earlier about the group. So I have a big group now as opposed to when I, you know, I had different jobs in the company, but I had maybe like 20 or 30 people reporting to me. And this is a bigger group. And one thing I guess I wish I had known then that I know now is how important it is to set the tone from the leadership position. So not even just how you approach issues or, you know, sort of very professional things, but even just on a personal level, like how you treat people, how patient you are with people. Do you set an optimistic tone? Do you encourage ethical behavior? Do you make sure people try to work together cooperatively? Because I've seen that too with, with our current boss, or the general counsel and, and previous people in different positions, that people really even unconsciously adopt the style of the person in charge. So there's a lot of responsibility to make sure that you're setting the tone that other people are going to adopt. And I think when I was starting out, I probably didn't realize how important that was. But now being in this position, you know, I try to watch really every day how I treat people, what I say, am I giving encouragement, am I encouraging people to work together as opposed to, you know, setting up rivalries for different things. Because that's how they will act in their groups and the people they're supervising. And that really makes a big difference in terms of how successful the group is. And also how people feel about working every day here. And you want people to come in excited about being a part of a team, and that's when they're going to do their best. And so you really set that in ways I think you don't even realize in terms of just your everyday action. It's kind of intangible, right? Yeah. People don't realize it, but you have, you have whole cultures that develop in companies. That's really interesting. So anything else that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started your career? in terms of for women who are trying to achieve their goals or find success? Yeah, I think just really believing that you can do it. In the past, I think I did struggle with that. I'd say the first 10 years of my career, just feeling like I deserved the promotion or feeling like I deserved the job, that I was good enough to do it, that I was qualified enough to do it. And now I realize, of course, (laughs) you know, if you really want it, you have to have some of the qualifications, but a lot of why people succeed is intangible. It's determination. It's their approach to whether they can do something. It's optimism. It's, you know, intangible judgment. It's intangibles that you just have to really be confident in yourself that you have, and then you, you can do well. And I think I was probably starting out too tentative about thinking, oh, they're not going to consider me for that job or... I don't know if I could do that project. I think someone else would be better. I don't want to speak at that event. Somebody else will do it. I don't want to go on television. Somebody else will do it. And now I think it's not that hard. You know, I kind of struggled with those decisions, nights and weekends, agonizing over whether I should apply for that job or whether I should do that thing. And now 
I just realized you just do it. You know, you just think you can do it. And right. I would have saved myself a whole lot of <laughs> time and <laughs> agony if I had known that then. Your plate must be so full with this big job. How do you prioritize your time and how do you manage all that heavy load and make sure that you're spending the right amount of time on the right things? Yeah. So that was another thing it took a while to learn because especially my previous jobs were very subject matter focused. So I had to really be very detailed in terms of the knowledge that I had and the preparation for certain things. This job is much different and I have to let other people do that and then just sort of look at the big picture and figure out where the most important strategic issues are. You know, what are those issues for the company and then try to get involved in those to the extent, you know, not encroaching on someone else's space, but understanding why that has to go a certain direction and then having the visibility over the whole organization and the issues that are going on in different places. I think that's actually one thing I do well is try to figure out those few really important strategic things at the moment that require my time and involvement, but then make sure that I'm not getting distracted by things that other people know how to do better than me because it's their job. (laughs) And that's hard sometimes, especially when you used to do that or you actually understand it really well. You just have to let other people exercise their own leadership qualities and their own management and their own judgment and handle those. You know, and you want the information so you can sort of have that sense of how everything fits together, but not get too involved. Part of it is I've been doing this kind of work for 15 years. So I think that experience and that, you know, just sort of having these battles over and over on different things gives me a sense of where I should do that and where I should just let other people run with things. Delegating is critical for you to be able to do your job. Yeah, and just letting people do their job. And the other thing is if you get too involved in someone else's work who works for you, there's this sense of kind of demoralization too that comes with it, male male or female, but they'll feel that they don't have the space to do what they think is right or the company's trust isn't in them because someone else is kind of watching over them all the time. So making sure that you're not just delegating, but letting other people do that job because that's their job. And having their own agency, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And making their own decisions. And then they usually, you know, get more motivated and feel more optimistic. In your career, have you had mentors that have helped guide your way? And uh, could you talk a little bit about that? I have, and especially at Verizon. My whole career really here, I've had somebody all along that was kind of pulling for me. There was a lawyer who hired me here, Mike Glover, who was, had my job actually before me. And then there was a woman who headed up our federal regulatory group. Her name was Suzanne Geyer. She was really supportive of me, really helped me get my first big promotion. And then even now, I mean, our, you know, I think our current general counsel is very supportive and really helpful to me in a lot of ways. I can't really look back on my time at Verizon and think of a time where I didn't have somebody pulling for me or in my corner on things, which is really important. And did you ask these people formally, you know, will you be my mentor or did you just work for them and do good work? I mean, how did you go about getting these mentors? Yeah, I was lucky. I I didn't really have to actually look. They were either my direct supervisor or somebody that was, you know, maybe one level above. And I recognize that's harder, you know, that's harder because there are going to be people in situations where they don't feel like that have that current support right now. And I always tell people, you just have to kind of go out and find someone to do that for you because it's really important. But I was lucky that I didn't have to look that far. So they just kind of observed the good work that you were doing and 
you yeah. know, just just wanted to help just you. Just wanted to help. And I think a lot of people actually have that instinct, want to be that kind of mentor for someone, which is another reason why people should just ask because a lot, it's flattering. You know, it's nice when someone wants you to help guide their career or give them advice about what to do. I mean, I always love when people ask me that, and I think most people do. I always find, too, that when I do mentor someone, I actually learn from them as well. Definitely. Um, I know that the Verizon credo is a big deal. Could you talk a little bit about what it means to you and, and how it's affected your time here? Yeah. I think what it does is it gives us all kind of a guiding set of principles for how we should conduct ourselves both internally and externally. So how important diversity is, you know, how having a multitude of different voices with different backgrounds, why that's important, not just for our culture, but for our business, you know, in order to be successful as a company. So it sort of shows us how to interact with each other. And then as a company, how we should be conducting ourselves externally. There's a great line in there about how our competitors are not our enemies. You know, we want to do better than them, but we always want to strive to do better. But it kind of sets up more of a uh, way to succeed as opposed to a way to knock someone else down. I think that's important as well. And then there's great, you know, there's for a big company like ours, you know, we're not a bureaucracy. We want to keep sort of have this small mindset about how we don't want to let decisions get kind of backed up in these big lines of all these people that have to approve decisions about how can we make decisions quickly and move forward in a way that isn't, you know, a Fortune 20 company, but more like a smaller, you know, kind of the old wireless history there. So we, we refer to it a lot. I mean, it comes up in a lot of different contexts, whether that's about a business decision that we want to make or how we need to act internally from an ethical perspective and then how we want to act externally as for my group in particular and represent the company. You know, it's important to have that set of principles that don't change even as the company is evolving pretty dramatically over that time. That's really how we remember who we are at Verizon. And people keep coming back to it. So one thing in the past couple of years that's been very prevalent about us is that when we, we run to a crisis, and so where we've had seen all these disasters in, you know, in Houston and in Florida, you know, there's big storms on the East Coast and the company really, people rise to the occasion. That's when we excel, that's when we succeed. And a lot of that goes back to the credo. I think it just helps us kind of keep that mindset and that understanding of who we are, no matter what the circumstances. So you ascended through the ranks mm-hmm. of Verizon pretty quickly. And I know you've talked about trusting your intuition. Are there any other qualities in yourself that you think you can credit for your ability to ascend through the company as quickly as you did? I think two things come to mind. First, I'm pretty good at making decisions. So I do try to make sure that I make decisions pretty quickly. And, you know, you have to get all the information. You have to make sure that what you you know the sort of pros and the cons of what you need to do. But sometimes it's the most important thing is just to decide and move forward. And I think that has helped me a lot in my career. It's just being clear about what's right and then just moving forward. You know, it may not even be the right decision, but it's important to do that, I think, decisively. And then the other thing is, I guess it's kind of the flip side of that, actually, is I think I'm pretty good at admitting when I've made a mistake and even in meetings, I'll ask people for their point of view, because I can be very decisive and clear about what I think. But I also, at the same time, want people to say, I don't agree with that. I really want to hear the opposing point of view. 
And I want to be able to have that information before I decide. And then if it is the wrong decision, be very clear and open and honest about that it was a mistake. This wasn't right. Shouldn't have done this. We have to move forward. But if you don't do that, if you don't sort of acknowledge where, you know, you could have done better, then you're never going to get better, obviously. And also that gives, I think that gives the team confidence in your leadership that, okay, you, you make decisions quickly, but at the same time, you admit when it wasn't the right one. I think those two qualities go together well. I think I've you know, tried to practice that throughout my career. I'm probably much better at it now. It's probably the best that I've been at both those things now than maybe 10 years ago. But I think that's, that's helped me a lot. So being decisive is kind of what we were talking about earlier about having a bias toward action, mm-hmm. right? And so even if maybe ultimately don't make the right decision, it's just better to make a decision. Yeah. And it then is. you learn from your mistakes. So therefore, if you did make the wrong decision, it was still a learning experience that will propel you further. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I, I can't remember who said this, but not making a decision is the same thing as making a decision in a lot of ways. It's just not doing it strategically and it's not doing it knowingly. That's so a great point. I always try to kind of keep that in mind. So having a bias towards action at least makes you consider exactly what the strategic implications of things are. And, you know, I do notice that you know, or people starting out or maybe younger, there's some sense of trepidation about making decisions. And that's what I'll try to remind people that, well, that's the same thing as deciding no. Right. And also, I wanted to ask you, um, what has it been like being a woman in telecommunications? Because the industry as a whole is a predominantly male-dominated industry. So how has that been for you to have your whole career in this industry? Yeah. It is, or or it has been. One interesting thing, actually, now, I think it's a lot different now than when I started out. So now, you know, there's sort of a certain number of big companies in our space, you know, the cable companies and the other telco companies. And I would say three-quarters of them, the person who holds my job at that company is a woman. And that's never been the case. Wow. Never. I mean, it is, it still is, you know, I'll go to meetings or board meetings or events and depending on what it is, it can be almost all male or it can be very diverse, but it's it's changing a lot, I think. It is always kind of fun, though, to walk into a meeting, you're the only woman there. I remember I did that recently. I had on this bright pink dress, kind of on purpose a little bit. <laughs> you know, and sometimes people don't really know what to do with you or they just aren't sure. Like, I don't know, she's this blonde woman in this pink dress from New York. Who is she? But I don't let it hold me back. I don't let it affect how I act in the meeting and push forward. And I know next time or next year, there'll be, I won't be the only one. There'll be someone else there too. Well, I'm glad to hear that, hear that there's progress. Yeah, so absolutely. many other fields have kind of not been progress, yeah. you know, have been kind of stagnating. So it's great to hear that there's progress. Yeah, and there's a big debate about it, obviously, now. You know, a lot of the bigger companies, the Silicon Valley type companies, you know, they have a serious problem with diversity that doesn't seem to be getting resolved. And it's not just, you know, it's racial, it's ethnic, it's gender, but it's a serious, serious issue that, you know, hopefully they'll pay more attention to going forward. But but Verizon's always been great. I mean, as a company and this organization generally, the the focus has been on making sure that diversity is a really important value. And I think that will only continue. And when you are the only woman in the room, you say you don't let it affect the way that you handle yourself. How do you overcome any confidence issue about voicing and speaking out in those meetings when you are the only woman there? 
I used to have that concern. I honestly don't anymore. I just really don't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I just do it. You know, sometimes I will say it can feel a little bit, I'll be a little self-conscious in that thinking that someone isn't taking me as seriously because of that, you know, in a meeting where they're all men. And sometimes you can notice, I mean, they're looking at someone else the whole time, or when you speak, it's a little bit different than when someone else does. That definitely happens, but I don't let it hold me back anymore. I'm just way past that now. <laughs> and that's, a, that's something that you learn through just yeah. doing it over and yeah. over and over again. And for those people who don't have all the years of experience that you have, I mean, I guess the lesson is just do it, right? buy the ticket. (laughs) (laughs) I really do think it is. I think you just have to just do things even though they're scary or even actually because they are. That's something I really, the past few years, have really tried to keep very front of mind about a lot of things. So usually the things that are scary or hard are the things that you should do. And they're important for you to do. And staying in the comfort zone is never going to serve you. It's not going to serve your kids or your husband or your friends or your professional colleagues. And it is really hard. So I'm not trying to minimize it that it's hard. But, I mean, I'm happy that I'm at that point in my life where it doesn't bother me anymore. But I think if more of us do that, just have the confidence and, frankly, support each other when we do. So if someone is nervous about it or is going to a meeting and they know they're going to be the only woman there. You know, just have a conversation with someone beforehand and get some encouragement, talk about it, be honest about that's what's going on, and then just go in and do it anyway. <laughs> I love it. This is a perfect <laughs> note to end it on. Buy the ticket. That's the Buy moral. the ticket. Thank you so much, Kathy. Oh, thank you. It's it was been a pleasure. such a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate your time today, and uh, I wish you continued success. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Lifting Up, Lessons from Verizon Women Leaders. Tune in next time for another inspiring story of women leaders forging their paths to success and sharing the lessons they've learned along the way.